0: In its time, Rome, the capital of the Roman Empire, welcomed many heroes returning in triumph from great military feats. Bedecked with garlands of flowers, the roads lined with enthusiastic and cheering crowds, few gave a second glance to a bedraggled band of recently shipwrecked prisoners in chains. For along the Appian Way, marching prisoners were a familiar sight, But for just a few of the citizens of Rome, the arrival of one special prisoner is keenly awaited. A few years before, he had addressed a letter to these Roman believers, believers he had never met, and in this letter he told them that, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Through the grapevine, they are kept informed of the apostles' progress, of the day he proclaimed his Roman rites when beaten, uncondemned in Philippi. Of the day in Corinth, when he purposed in his heart, after passing through Macedonia and Achaia, to go to Jerusalem, adding, After I have been there, I must also see Rome. And then, of the nighttime reassurance from the Lord in the refuge of the castle in Antonia in Jerusalem, that he must bear witness also at Rome, which encouraged Paul, as a Roman citizen before Festus, to appeal directly unto Caesar. Then news comes from Puteoli. The apostle has landed. He is going to spend a week with us, when he will be able to break bread with us. Immediately, plans are made for two companies of brethren and sisters to travel down the Appian Way to meet Paul in chains en route for Rome. The advance party covering some 43 miles to Appii Forum and the rest 10 10 miles less to the three taverns. Luke says that when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. This so unexpected gesture of fellowship and regard from unknown brethren and sisters must have meant so much to Paul as he travelled in their company to Rome. It is the same feeling we get today when visiting a different meeting. Straight away we feel at home among brothers and sisters we've never met before. We sense that they share common standards and the same hope. It's a spirit of companionship which we need to foster carefully with visitors to our own ecclesias. Certainly the centurion, Julius, was very much aware of the special qualities of this prisoner now surrounded by his friends from Rome. At the height of the storm, Julius had heeded Paul's exhortation to be of good cheer for I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. In the strength of the angel's reassurance that he must be brought before Caesar, Paul walked up from Puteoli to Rome. He was not alone. Others identified with his mission. Others were not ashamed of his chains. Julius had Paul to thank for still being alive, and we like to think that his favourable report influenced the decision for Paul to enjoy semi-freedom to dwell by himself in his own hired house with the soldier who kept him. Paul's affairs were supervised by the captain of the guard, or the Praetorian prefect, who at this time was named Burrus, and he was known in contemporary records as a mild and just man. Probably four soldiers would share a rotor of guard duty to keep a 24-hour watch on this prisoner in chains. Paul writes from Rome to the Philippians that his bonds in Christ were manifest in all the palace, or according to the margin, in Caesar's court possibly his quarters were in a compound of the military establishment belonging to the imperial guard. What we do know is that Paul's dwelling was large enough to accommodate a succession of visitors and large audiences that came to hear him preach. Again, how this was paid for, we don't know, perhaps from generous gifts from the ecclesia, or maybe from a family inheritance. In the first chapter of Paul's letter to the Romans, a letter written a few years earlier from Corinth, He confides that his unceasing prayer to God was that if by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come to you. For I long to see that I may impart to you some spiritual gift. To the end you will be established, that is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith both of you and me. Paul had no idea of the harsh reality of the prosperous voyage which he spoke about a few years before that prosperous voyage which entailed the storm, the shipwreck, all predetermined by the will of God. And now, wonderfully, God overruled his captivity, so that here, in the heart of the empire, protected from his enemies by Caesar's guard, Paul is placed under house arrest, free to receive visitors. And as we shall see, these were two years of great activity and results. Paul does not waste any time Only after three days he summoned the chief of the Jews together to protest his innocence of the charges made. And then in response to their request to hear about this new sect everywhere spoken against, they returned to his lodging. His exposition of the kingdom of God and about Jesus, made from the law of Moses and the prophets, lasted, we are told, from morning till evening. You see, Paul had not come to Rome for a well-earned rest. He still had a mission to fulfil, and he wasted no time in spreading abroad the flame of witness. How often we hear the excuse, if only my circumstances were different, if only I were younger, if only I were in good health, if only I were more mobile, if only I had more resources, then I could do so much more for the truth. It reminds me, brothers and sisters, of people who say what they will do when they win the lottery, of course. The human heart comes up with very plausible reasons for delaying the hour, for excusing inactivity, for seeing obstacles in the way as insurmountable. Truly, he that observes the wind shall not sow, and he that regards the clouds shall not reap. Just think of Paul the prisoner, never free, for a moment, from the restraining chain which always attached his hand to that of the guard, denied privacy, forced to link his life with often uncouth or uneducated soldiers, a captive within the four walls of his lodging, in poor health, his body suffering from years of neglect. But such a narrow, restricted world in captivity doesn't in any way dampen Paul's enthusiasm, far from it. Paul explains to the Philippians that the things which happened to him at Rome have fallen out rather for the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places, and many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Although the chain restricted Paul's physical movement, no guard could stifle the radiating effect of Paul's infectious zeal. Up to now, reticent believers are inspired to witness like Paul. In the two years of his imprisonment, Paul corresponds with the young churches at Ephesus, at Philippi, whom he thanks for their gift at Colossae, also writing general letters to the Laodicean region, to the Hebrews, and the personal letter to Philemon Philemon, about his runaway slave Onesimus. So when Paul was not receiving all that came into him, preaching with all confidence at every opportunity, he was dictating those weighty epistles, all the time chained to a soldier that hired house at Rome became the nerve centre of intercollegial intelligence and exchange, with constant comings and goings of visitors and messengers from far and near. The two years spent earlier as a prisoner of Felix at Caesarea and the two years now spent at Caesar's palace were not wasted years, but they could so easily have been passed in self-pity and reproach. What an example for us to be positive, outward-looking in our lives, For example, listen to Paul's request to the Ephesians to pray for him. What did he desire? Was he asking for good health? Was he asking for comfort? Was he asking for a quick release? No, none of these things. Pray for me, Paul asked the Ephesians, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. All of us are called to be ambassadors for Christ. It is a great honour to represent Christ in a world that has no time for him, a world that doesn't believe that he is going to return. There's nothing passive or apologetic about Paul, the ambassador in bonds. Do we perhaps chain ourselves up with weights and encumbrances which prevent effective witnessing for Christ? The stark simplicity of the world of the ambassador in bonds at Rome contrasts with our own cluttered lifestyle filled with lots of things not directly needful or even helpful for the service to Christ which he deserves from us. But we believe there is one important area where there is no reason at all why our lifestyle in the truth today should be any different from that of Paul the ambassador in chains at Rome. Although he was under house arrest, it's obvious that Paul was permitted to have an open door. He was able to receive brethren and sisters from far and near. Of these fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, Paul tells the Colossians, which have been a comfort unto me. Just how numerous these fellow workers were becomes apparent from the many incidental references in the letters written from his house at Rome. How quickly these two years must have passed in the loving care and companionship Of such sterling characters. For example, no man was so dear to Paul as Timothy, this young man who was as a son with the father, had served with Paul in the gospel. For a time, Timothy was in prison at Rome, and after his release, was commissioned to deliver the letter to the Hebrews. Another fellow labourer, also described as a fellow prisoner, was Aristarchus, a Jew from Thessalonica, who had endured with Paul that arduous voyage to Rome. The letter to the Philippians was sent from Paul and Timothy, carried by Epaphroditus, described in that letter as, My brother, companion in labor and fellow soldier, and your messenger, he that ministered to my wants. What a marvelous testimony to a brother who was sick nigh unto death. Why was he such an extremity? In such an extremity. Because for the work of Christ, not regarding his life, To supply the Philippians' lack of service to him. So we are sure Paul's other companion on the trip to Rome, Luke, the beloved physician, would be kept very busy at this time. Paul entrusted the delivery of at least two of his epistles to Tychius, the bearer described to the Colossian recipients as a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant of the Lord. Similarly to the Ephesians with the added tribute that Tychius shall make known unto you all things whom I have sent unto you for the same purpose that you might know our affairs and that Tychius might comfort your hearts. Here at Rome the earlier serious disagreement with Mark on the first missionary journey was was resolved and forgotten as Paul comes to appreciate Mark as a fellow labourer and as a true friend. In contrast, another fellow labourer in those two years at Rome, we know, was to fall away from the faith. By the time Paul's imprisoned the second time at Rome, he writes in sorrow that Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world and is departed. Of the many converts made at, Paul, made at Rome by this ambassador in Bonds, it seems that Paul had an especial affection for the runaway slave Onesimus, described to the Colossians as a faithful and beloved brother. Paul sent him back to his master, Philemon, with the placatory epistle so full of sensitive loving appeal for the slave, described by Paul as my son whom I have begotten in my bonds, who had proved to be so profitable ministering to Paul in the bonds of the gospel. These were Paul's fellow workers unto the kingdom of God, which had been a comfort to him. Denied his freedom, Paul's life was brightened by working alongside men and women, many of whom were old and trusted friends, who shared his hope and his enthusiasm, with the added bonus that he was able to re-establish family ties with his kinsmen, now living at Rome. So never underestimate the part we can all play in supporting and in encouraging our brothers and sisters. For example, many are engaged in corresponding with those in isolation, in this country and in remote lands abroad. Very often this work is not known about, yet it contributes greatly to the spread of unity and purpose among the fellowship. When we were out in India earlier this year, we visited a very humble home of a brother in Kadiam and had three pictures on his living room wall. And one of those pictures was a photograph of a family from Ryegate, a family that corresponded with our brother, He felt so dearly for them that he had their family photograph up on his living room wall. He brought home to us how much letters and correspondence is appreciated by brothers and sisters in isolation. Paul wrote his commendation of others from first-hand experience. He was a grateful recipient of so much support and attention. Truly, charity or love helped Paul to bear all things, to believe all things, to hope all things, To endure all things. In Paul's case, the process was two way. Whilst he gave out so much himself to others in personal effort and self sacrifice, risking health for the care of all the churches. Equally, he appreciated the companionship and genuine practical help of so many co labourers. Certainly, his earlier letter written to the Roman believers was now wonderfully fulfilled. His intention that when I come unto you, I shall come in the fullness of the blessing of the gospel of Christ, that I may come unto you with all joy by the will of God and may be with you refreshed. We are very blessed in this meeting to work with so many faithful co-laborers in Christ. and May we all gain the fullness of such association and be refreshed, as Paul was, in the company of true friends, for our lives can be enriched by interaction, fellowship with other members of the body of Christ. When the chain hung heavily on Paul's wrist, when he longed for freedom and the opportunity to travel again, then Paul took courage from those who actively worked to see him through the two years' imprisonment, and that is why Paul rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that the care of the Philippian believers for him had flourished again. When he wrote these words, he was Paul the prisoner in chains at Rome. And yet he says, I speak not in respect of want. Just think, here he was under house arrest, denied privacy and freedom, frustrated by the sameness of day after day chained to a guard. And yet Paul could write from prison, I speak not in respect of want. For I have learned, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know how to be abased and to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And his repeated exhortation to the Philippians was for them to rejoice always in the Lord. Just as Philemon could not resist the appeal of Paul the aged and now a prisoner of Jesus Christ, neither can we today fail to be impressed by the great composure and confidence of this ambassador in bonds. To remember his bonds is to be encouraged to accept whatever God in his wisdom deems right for the development of our probation. When Paul started out from Damascus, fired with zeal as the chosen vessel to the Gentiles, we are sure he had no idea whatsoever how great things he must suffer for the Lord's name's sake. In fact, as we've seen, his sufferings at Rome turned out to be a great benefit in his output of epistles, his preaching and his encouragement of the church in Rome. Those very situations which can seem so frustrating, in which the purpose is difficult to see, Those situations can turn out to be of undreamt of value in helping ourselves and others. What we may dismiss as wasted years may just be what is needed for the full maturing of the new man or woman in Christ. It was for the hope of Israel that Paul was bound with the chain. The same hope of Israel moves us today to accept the restrictions imposed by the truth following in the footsteps of Paul, whose sole reason for glorying was in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. When this hardened campaign of the Christ urged the Ephesian leaders to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, and to put on the whole armour of God, Paul was a captive at Rome, chained to a soldier that kept him, as he wrote that marvellous description of the spiritual soldier, he had for a model the Roman guard in the room with him. We can almost see him, the apostle, checking out the equipment list from the clothing and the weapons of the soldier before him, standing with girded loins, the armor of the breastplate, the helmet, the shield, the sword, which Paul knew the guard would not hesitate to use if he tried to escape. We suppose that Paul must often have discussed with these guards their experiences in fighting Caesar's wars, maintaining peace in the empire. As Paul observed these crack professional soldiers, he would be impressed by their discipline, their efficiency, their calm acceptance of duty, their total obedience in carrying out the orders of the commanding officers. And so in his first letter to the young brother Timothy, Paul exhorts his fellow soldier in Christ to fight the good fights of faith, that thou mightest war a good warfare. Finally, we move on to Paul's second term of imprisonment at Rome when he urges Timothy not to be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord nor of me, his prisoner. And at the end of a life of devoted and unselfish soldiering for Christ, Paul, once again in bonds, can claim, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Paul seeks to pass on to Timothy and to us the secret of his success. It is advice that we can accept from an old veteran of many engagements whose body bore the marks of so many beatings and stonings. You therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. And I'd like to read from Our chapter this morning, Deuteronomy 30, as it seems fitting, starting at verse 11. Now what I am commanding you today is not too difficult for you or beyond your reach. It is not up in heaven so that you have to ask, who will ascend into heaven to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? Nor is it beyond the sea, so that you have to ask. Who will cross the sea to get it and proclaim it to us so that we may obey it? No, the word is very near to you. It is in your mouth and in your heart so that you may obey it. And this is a gift through the suffering of Paul that we have these words that can help us follow his example. And these words are in our hands every day, very near to us. uh, Not impossible for us. And nothing, of course, is impossible with God as the one who upholds us in this battle.